0: A mystery, a legend, and gold in the desert. That's the story of the lost Dutchman, east of Phoenix. There's, well, not much, but there might be gold. And every year, people go looking for that lost gold mine. the Superstition Mountains just east of Phoenix. This ridge contains a gold mine developed by a Mexican family in the 1840s, but they were massacred by Apaches. So the story goes. And that's where Jacob Waltz comes in. He's the fabled Dutchman, even though he was actually German. Apparently he knew the mine's location and would come into town bearing gold, but he kept the location secret until he was on his deathbed. Still, no one has been able to locate the lost Dutchman's mine since Waltz died in 1891. But that doesn't stop treasure hunters even today. Christians know that we have been redeemed with something even more precious than gold, the blood of our only Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Haven Today. Here it is Friday. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we're wrapping up a series called Christians You Should Know. In a moment, we're going to be joined by a longtime friend of mine, Dr. Mateen Elas. He was born in Syria, raised in Saudi Arabia, schooled in America, and that's where he met Christ.
1: And it was there at this uh, Christian university that I saw for the first time a community of people who were living in such a way that the love they demonstrated towards one another and towards me as an outsider reflected. What I knew in my bones was the way human beings were supposed to live, the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another.
0: Mateen alas, we're going to hear more of his testimony and how the Lord brought him out of Islam and into saving faith in Christ alone, so stay with me. After this program, I want to send you another powerful testimony, and that's the story of the atheist who rejected Christ, but God still saved. It's called The Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. Yes, the creator of the Narnia series and well-known Christian apologist at one time in his life denied that God existed. But the Lord had other plans. And when you watch this movie, I know your faith will be uplifted as you're reminded that no one is too far from God. I also know it would be a great movie to share with someone who's struggling with their faith. So here's our number that you can call 800-65-HAVEN. That's 800 800- 65 haven or you can go watch the movie trailer that we put up on our website and make your gift there at HavenToday.org. HavenToday.org. and as we start this program how would you like to go with me to the holy land later this year and walk where jesus walked well we're taking a small group in late november and i'd love for you to join us It's the only way to go to Israel, not some big multi-bus tour. The Bible will come alive as you visit real places that David, Abraham, and of course Jesus walked. It's a trip you'll never forget. Find out more by visiting our homepage, haventoday.org. Now, why don't we start this July program together with the Gaither Vocal Band and Alpha and Omega.
2: Behold the tabernacle of God is with men He shall dwell within them They shall be His people And Almighty God will be with them He shall wipe away all tears from their eyes There shall be of peace is he the son of man seed of Abraham second person in the trinity
0: Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris. We're going to travel to Oklahoma City. And a brother in the Lord, a friend of mine, a pastor, and he's a former Muslim. And his name is Dr. Mateen Elas. Mateen, welcome back
1: to this program. Charles, I'm delighted to be with you again. Now, you
0: were born in America, but you were raised more in Saudi Arabia. Your father was Syrian. I guess you wouldn't call yourself a hardcore Muslim, would you?
1: No, not at all. My father, by the time uh, we were old enough to start understanding much about religion, had already become fairly secularized. He was a westernized man. He wanted to be a successful businessman working for this international oil company. So our family life, in terms of uh, any religious pursuits, was very secular. My parents told us as we were growing up that As we came across religious perspectives, if there was one that we wanted to pursue, that they would never object, that they would allow us to pursue that. Now, when I was early teens, I thought about Islam, because, of course, being in Saudi Arabia, we were immersed in a very, very conservative Muslim environment. But I watched what was going on around me. I discovered that the Islam being practiced was not something that was very, very attractive. It was uh, rather... Harsh and uh, arid, not much joy, no sense of God as a loving being at all, but rather as as the watchman over all that happens.
0: give me a few specifics besides just that. those are strong terms you've used, but give us a concrete example. what bothered you about Islam when you were growing up in Saudi Arabia
1: well Islam is f- Uh, filled with uh, with rules and regulations. It's a it's a law, legal religion, works oriented. Uh, So you must pray five times a day in Arabic. Uh, You must say the prayers precisely. Each of the five daily prayers includes quotations memorized from the Quran. Uh, You have to say these all correctly in Arabic even if Arabic is not your native language. And if you stumble or make a mistake Uh, As you're saying those prayers, the prayer becomes invalid at that point, and you have to start over from the beginning. That's just one of many legalisms within Islam that uh, I saw that uh, led me to say this kind of religion is is not something that that seems to me to comport with, at least at that time, my image of who God ought to be. As you know, Islam also requires uh, the fasting once— a year, the, during the month of Ramadan, the ninth month of the Islamic calendar, uh, where you're not supposed to eat or drink anything from sunrise to sunset. It's not only food and liquids, though. You're, you're also supposed to abstain from every kind of pleasure. So uh, if you are, uh, were a smoker, for instance, you were not supposed to smoke cigarettes uh, from uh, that same time period. You were not supposed to engage in sexual relations with your spouse during the, those same hours. So, any pleasure you were s- supposed to lay aside during the month of Ramadan from sunrise to sunset. From sunset to sunrise, on the other hand, would often be a great time of partying as people overindulged on the flip side uh, while they were fasting during the daylight hours. So, all in all, it was a religion that imposed a lot of restrictions on people and uh, made you feel like. Anytime you failed, you were in danger of hellfire.
0: Let's tell a little bit more about your story. You were packed off to school. You ended up coming to college. Uh, You you went to Stanford University. I'm sure your parents were very proud of you for getting in. And your life began to change then, especially in relation to spiritual matters, didn't it?
1: Well, that's true. By the time I got to Stanford, I'd already left Islam behind conceptually, and I was actually very deeply involved in Eastern mysticism. By the end of my uh, freshman year, I'd gone over to India and I'd studied in an ashram on the outskirts of Bombay. I'd been licensed to teach classical yoga, which I did during my sophomore year back at Stanford. Uh, So my mind and heart, at that point, were immersed in Eastern mystical thought. And I was also a philosophy major at Stanford, which was all fueled by my own search for truth. I think if you'd met me back then, Charles, you you would have thought me a very confused young man. (laughs) (laughs) Mateen,
0: exactly. Add all of those things together. How could you not be confused?
1: After my sophomore year, I was back in uh, Arabia for the summer with a a lot of other returning students from college uh, of the families that uh, worked for the oil company. And I met a young woman who was uh, a Christian, and we started dating and uh, you know we fell into love. I, I remember Billy Graham once talking about uh, young love, and he said it was just puppy love, but it was very real to the puppies. And so we thought about uh, age nineteen, the possibility of getting married. And uh, but she said to me, you know, I could never marry you because you're not a Christian. And I said to her, well, I could never become a Christian just to marry you. I mean, how can you decide about the realities of uh, the universe on the basis of your hormones? So I. We decided we would continue to date, but then uh, at the end of the summer, we'd go our separate ways, and that was a good makeshift decision. Only her college started about a month before mine did, so by the end of August, she was back at her school, Washita Baptist University in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, and I was sitting in Arabia twiddling my thumbs. So I made the decision that I would leave Arabia early and head back to uh, Stanford, go across... uh, country from uh, east to west, and I'd stop in Arkansas and surprise her and stay a few days. Well, I did do that, ended up staying about three weeks, and it was there at this uh, Christian uh, university that I saw for the first time a community of people who were living in such a way that the love they demonstrated towards one another and towards me as an outsider reflected what I knew in my bones was the way human beings were supposed to live, the kind of love that we we're supposed to have for one another. You know, uh, giving with uh, no strings attached. And of course, it wasn't perfect, but it it was uh, a far sight better than anything I'd ever seen. As I got to know people and I saw them doing kind acts for others, I would go up to them and I'd ask them, "Why did you do that?" Uh, it might have been giving somebody a, a flower or writing a little note of uh, thanks, or or buying them a little gift or something. And uh, when I'd ask them, they would always talk about Jesus in their hearts. I would say to them, I'm not interested in the religious stuff. I just want to know where you get the power to love people like that. And they kept talking about uh, Jesus as the source of that. And so that was when I decided, here's enough evidence that I need to take seriously their claim, and I need to find out about who this Jesus is. And that started my searching than reading the Gospels for the first time in my life at age 20 and uh, being confronted by the figure of Jesus in the Gospels, which was just so compelling. When I got to the end of the Gospel of John, it felt like I was servicing back into this world after being immersed in a in the world of the Bible. I thought to myself, I've never come across in all of my philosophy studies and religious studies. I'd never come across anyone like this man, Jesus. And if there's ever anyone worth giving your life to follow, it would have to be this man. And I knew that the Christians were saying, well, that's because he's not just a man, he's also God. But that seemed to me too far-fetched at the time. But I didn't care at that point. I just said, I want to know more about this man. He has the keys to life, and I want to learn from him. And I I remember thinking to myself, Charles, if he were alive today— I would go try to find him, like I went to the ashram in Bombay to study under this old guru. I'd go and try to find Jesus and ask him if he would take me as a student of his. And I didn't realize at the time that that's really what the word disciple means, a student.
0: That he really is alive, and which, of course, you did meet him, and you did become a Christ follower, and little did you know that someday you'd be a minister of the gospel, and
1: Pastoring a church yeah, in the farthest, middle of America. Farthest thing from my mind. <laughs> Mateen,
0: when you finally decided that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, you prayed for the forgiveness of sins and for him to become your Lord and Savior. Your father, who said, choose your own religion, what did he do?
1: Well, when I got back to Arabia during the Christmas break, about three months after I had made a commitment to follow Christ, I shared this news with my father, who had always been pretty open uh, uh, to my searching in the past, and I uh, thought that there would be no issues from him. He would think it was just another stage of my uh, spiritual searching and growing. Much to my uh, surprise and hurt, uh, he responded by exploding over the news, and for the next uh, four days, every time we were together, he was... Uh, arguing with me and growing in his anger over the fact that I had become a Christian. Years later, I discovered that a big part of uh, that emotional response from my father was was a sense of, uh, of shame and uh, embarrassment that his own family and friends, Muslim family and friends, would uh, look at him in a diminished way because one of his sons had left Islam to become a Christian. So he tried to convince me that I'd made a big mistake, he told me that uh, the girl that I was dating and her family could be imprisoned in Arabia for proselytizing. He told me that uh, if I still felt the same way the time summer rolled around, normally I'd be going back to Arabia for the summer, that I'd need to find someplace else to live because I wouldn't be welcome in his home. Uh, he told me that I might, uh, if word got out that I'd become a Christian, he might lose his job. He was the senior vice president for this oil company. Uh, he worked with uh, Saudis and He said if they found out that one of his sons had become a Christian, they would lose all respect for him as a Muslim and all respect for him as a businessman, and he'd be forced to resign. And then he told me, lastly, that because I was officially a Muslim, according to uh, Saudi Sharia law, the son of a Muslim is a Muslim for life, that if I claimed to be a Christian when I was uh, being interrogated by Muslim authorities or Saudi authorities, that I would be convicted of apostasy and the penalty for apostasy is death by beheading. So he said, these are all things you should consider. And all of that was possibly true. That's correct, although uh, none of those things obviously uh, happened, especially the last one, except that my dad did cut me off from the family from the late 1970s until uh, we had a reconciliation in 1989, uh, for which I'm very grateful.
0: If you've just joined us, we're visiting with Dr. Mateen Alas. We're hearing his story about how he left Islam, how he left Eastern mysticism, how he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He also is an Islamic scholar. And uh, his most recent book is The Teachings of Jesus and Muhammad, where as you compare what the Bible, the Gospels say, and then what the Quran says. Let me just ask you, who is The Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. You've got the Bible on one hand, you've got the Quran on another.
1: Yeah, that's a great distinguishing question. The scriptures make it clear that God is the Alpha and Omega, but in the book of Revelation we uh, learn as well that that title applies to Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. In the Quran, of course, the term Alpha and Omega isn't used because those are Greek letters, but uh, the idea of of God as the one who is the first and the last is used. And of course, the, the main theme there is that God is the one who brackets all that is, from the very beginnings of the universe to the end, that God is greater than that. But of course, only God is that. And for Islam, that means that Jesus cannot be that, because in the Muslim way of thinking, Jesus is only immortal. That is, he is created by God the same way that every other being is created by God, and although Jesus is a great prophet, he nonetheless is still just fully mortal. So the big difference between the biblical viewpoint and the Quranic viewpoint is that this is a, a teaching that highlights the divinity of Jesus. He owns the same title, Alpha and Omega, as is used of God elsewhere, the, f- the first and the last. And of course, that's something that the, the Quran absolutely forbids one to believe.
0: mm mm-hmm. One last question for you, Mateen, that you do address towards the end of your new book. Is Jesus the Messiah?
1: Is Jesus the Messiah? Yes, this is such a curious question. I mean, there's no question in the New Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. He declares that of himself. Uh, His followers make that claim for him. And, of course, uh, the word Messiah is a transliteration from the Hebrew, And uh, the Greek equivalent of that is the word Christ, and that's the word most Americans are much more familiar with, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. One of the fascinating things in the Quran is that uh, this title, Messiah, is used also of Jesus and of Jesus alone, uh, not of any other figure in the Quran. And yet uh, one can't help but wonder if Muhammad had really known what the Christian uh, meaning of that term, Messiah, involved if he would have uh, allowed that title to be attached to the name of Jesus. It's one of the most frequent titles for Jesus in the Quran. In a sense, it's embarrassing to Muslim scholars to have that title ascribed to Jesus. Muslims I've talked to who understand the meaning of the term Messiah say, well, in the original meaning of the word, it means one who is anointed. And of course, they say, we believe that Jesus is one of the prophets of God was certainly anointed by God for that ministry so it's it's no problem for us to call Jesus a Messiah and yet when you ask them well we're not all the other prophets that are mentioned in the Quran including Muhammad anointed they would say well of course all prophets are anointed but then why is the title not used of any of the other prophets and there's no answer to that so here we see this title is uniquely ascribed to Jesus even in the Quran but there's no Good explanation in the Quran, other than it borrowed this title from uh, Christian sources to describe who Jesus really is.
0: Mm, thank you. Matina Lass uh, joining us from Oklahoma City. Thanks for joining us here on the program.
1: Really a great pleasure, Charles.
0: I'm Charles Morris. I hope you've been encouraged by this story you heard today from my friend Matina Lass. I was just on a call with him a few weeks back because he was sharing some key insights into the life of C.S. Lewis. Mateen is not only an Islamic scholar, but a student of Lewis as well. And both of them share an unlikely conversion story of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But no matter how you come to Christ, every single Christian rejoices with gratitude about Christ's redeeming work in their life. And you'll see this gratitude come through loud and clear if you'll just watch the new movie called The Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis on DVD. It's the true story of how a hard-nosed atheist came to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and it's told from the first-hand perspective of Lewis. The older Lewis in the movie is played by Max McLean, and it's very well done. You're going to enjoy it. Even more, I know you'll be encouraged to be reminded that no one is too far gone that the Lord can't reach them. Get one for yourself. Get another copy to share with somebody else, someone who might be struggling in their faith. And when you make your gift, make sure though to ask for the most reluctant convert, the Untold Story of C.S. Lewis on DVD. Here's the number again: eight hundred sixty-five Haven. Eight 800- hundred sixty five Haven. Or watch the movie trailer on our website. You can make your gift there at Haventoday dot org. Haventoday dot org. And now, as we have to go, let me invite you again to walk with me where Jesus walked. See thousands of years of biblical history firsthand. It'll change the way you read your Bible the rest of your life. Come with me in late November on the Haven trip to the Holy Land, Israel than Jordan. Read all about it over there at our website, haventoday.org. I guarantee it'll be a trip of a lifetime. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Come back again next time, won't you? When again, we'll share together the great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus. I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's word. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? Or as Paul says in Colossians 4, to devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, it doesn't mean just holing up in a room and spending 24 hours a day all week on your knees. The clue is in the adjectives. Watchful, looking out of the world and maintaining a faith in the Lord, asking Him to heal the suffering we see, asking Him to help us be agents of grace, thankful, living life with gratitude because we know the Lord's blessings have come down to us in Christ. Pray without ceasing. Open your eyes. Watch the world with a prayerful heart. Be thankful for the salvation you have in Christ. Read God's Word daily. Visit GetAnchor.com.